They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarasha. With your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I am the man of the hour, Will Tarashuk from the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. But this is not the ambiguous podcast solution, which you've probably been hearing a lot of me on. This is talking with Tarashuk. And today I am speaking with Mark Hirschberg. He is the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. It is very interesting career Mark has from tracking criminals and terrorists on the dark web to creating marketplaces and new authentication systems. Don't know how they're connected, but I'm going to find out. Mark has also spent his career launching and developing new ventures at startups and Fortune 500s in academia and in academia. He also helped start the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program at MIT. He has a Bachelor's of Science in Physics, physics, Electrical Engineering, and Computer Science, as well as a Master's in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science, focusing on cryptography. So, you know, no big deal. Mark, that is one hell of a resume. I don't know where to start, but first off, welcome. How are you, friend? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so you have been on 200 podcasts. I didn't put, I didn't bring that up in your impressive resume. So that's interesting. That's a lot to get into. But before we even get there, just you know, tell me who you are, where you're from, what it is you do currently, because you have had an extensive career. Yeah, I do a couple different things. I have my primary career. So I've been a startup CTO for most of my career. I go into startup companies. I'm the chief technology officer, the head nerd. And I help build startup companies, we scale them up. I've helped some Fortune 500 companies who wanted to play startup. Right now I've been working as a fractional CTO. Mm. So I'm a part-time CTO at a few different companies. That's my main job. But after teaching at this class for the past 20 years at MIT and teaching as content elsewhere, I turned into the book you mentioned, The Career Toolkit. And that came out earlier this year. So I've had this side career of the teaching and now the book and all the podcasts and everything that goes with it. So I think myself having two parts to who I am professionally. Mm. So how do you bounce around is from industry to industry? Cause electrical engineering, physics, I guess those kind of go together. Uh, and then, you know, going from a CTO helping startups, like how, how do those go hand in hand? Cause they kind of don't. Well, <laughs> well, I began my career as a software engineer. Okay. Because all my degrees is computer science. So I started as a programmer and then realized I wanted the challenges that come with being an executive. So I pushed my career forward to get to that management level. And once you become an executive, it's, it can be easier to go from one industry to another when there's a common thread. In my case, it's we create software products. Mm -hmm. And so I can create software products in different types of industries, allowing me to move around. So the T is chief technology officer, right? That's Essentially, right. technology officer. Okay. All right. So let's let's go. Let's let's read over that. Let's read over that resume again. It's called point by point by point. Tracking criminals on the dark web. Let my, explain. Please elaborate. Please. My graduate work was in cryptography. 
Now that's a branch of mathematics that does secret code. It's what the NSA and CIA does. Mm -hmm. It's also what you use every time you enter your credit card and say, well, I don't have to worry, it's safe. Right. It's because people in my field create ways to save you and secure your data. Most of the companies we build products like antivirus or firewalls. In this particular case, there's a company that was more proactive. So we were doing intelligence gathering on the dark web and we had to go out and find out who are the bad guys, the terrorists, the cyber criminals, who are they? Cause they don't want to be found. Right. What are they trying to do? When, where, how are they doing this? And we would do that intelligence gathering and then take that data and sell it to companies and government organizations. I'm sure you made a lot of money selling that stuff to government. Uh, government certainly. The government they, always they pays. They write big checks. They yes. they oh yeah, that's the thing about government contracts. They always pay. Um, so was this is this more like Silk Road or more cyber crimes? Because Silk you know Silk Road was essentially just Amazon without limits. Well, it's all of the above because if on Silk Road they are selling credit cards, mm -hmm. if they are selling human trafficking, that wasn't one of our bigger areas, but there are illegal things being sold online. There are people gathering to plan illegal activities online. So we would just get any and all information we could find, package it up in different ways so that our customers could use it to better prepare their defenses or for government agencies, some offensive capabilities. So did you ever work directly in government or is this all privately funded? I have never been directly employed by the government, mm. although I've had the government has funded certain research I've done right. while at university and other employers. Yeah, it's the difference of working with the government and working for the government. Like the government doesn't pay you to work for them. The government's paying you for a service. Exactly. Right. That's Less not, red tape that Yeah, much. no, that's very, that's very important to distinguish. Um, yeah, I'm sure we could do a lot on the dark web. So like, because the dark web, even like, you know, scammers, hackers, they're always five steps ahead, no matter what you do. Like, you know, when, like, when LimeWire was on the way of going down, the Pirate Bay was already up three months prior. So, like, how, how do you keep up with online criminals? Because it's very, very hard, and they're very, very smart. Well, the way to think about it is you have your life where you're running a podcast, you're helping yeah. with others, you go out to dinner with friends, you do other things. Worrying about your online privacy, worrying about your home safety, that is let's say 1% of your time. But for a criminal, that's their full-time job. Yeah. How do I break yeah. into your house? How do I get your online information? So they're spending a lot more resources on it, their own resources, than you are. Now, thankfully, there are tools put out. There are locks for your door. There are alarm companies. And of course, we have digital versions of that as well from companies who recognize you don't want to spend a lot of time on it, so they try to automate as much as they can for you. But it is a cat and mouse game. The criminals are always saying, okay, what can we do next? And then the defensive companies say, what are the criminals doing? How do we respond to that? That's just constant cat and mouse. What did you think of the, the I know we're recording this November 1st, um, but what did you think of that, that, that Facebook um, when their services went down about earlier in October, uh, when like for five hours, just the whole day was just gone? Like what, 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 what do you make of that? Because, you know, I, I heard the story that, you know, their servers are so secure that there's like one person who has a physical key to get into the server room. And the reason they were down for so long is because they couldn't get into the 
the building with all the servers, all the rooms. And they didn't have the guy's phone number because Facebook requires you, the employees, to contact each other through Messenger. So no one had his physical phone number to call the guy and say, hey, come open the door and so you can fix the servers. So he probably found out what was happening on the news. Like, from, from like a cybersecurity, what, what were your thoughts? Because that's probably just a nightmare. Or are you sitting back going, ha, 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 yes, my time to shine. Well, that was, it was an operational failure on their point. At least from what I've read, it wasn't some hacker got in. To your point, that's like saying, well, we only have one key. Well, what happens if you lose the key? What happens if the guy who has the key is on vacation and now what, you break into his house? It's important whenever you're working on your own plans, your own defense at your company, you actually run through this. Remember as kids, we used to do fire drills. Right. The teachers say, "Okay, kids, we're going to hear the fire alarm. Let's all practice lining up. And this way, when you did hear a fire alarm, I've certainly heard them as an adult. I didn't run for the exits. I knew not to. You know, I could walk calmly. I didn't get into the elevator. I took the stairs. We know what to do. We've practiced this. Right. And companies who have the capacity will practice. We call them fire drills, but it could be let's pretend a server crash. Let's pretend there was a breach. Clearly, they never practiced this, or they would have realized there's only one key. <laughs> we can't get to the key under this circumstance. Yeah. So I, I think they learned a lot from that and will hopefully update their, their practices. That's, it's a, that's a very good point. It's a very good lesson to take away with Cyrus security or any type of security for that matter. You prepare for so long to say, okay, what can we do to make sure this never happens that you forget to pre- prepare for happen was what happens when it does. Right. And that's, that's pretty much what happened. I think a lot of companies do a lot of companies run into that issue. Cause you know, I'm listening right here as security and, you know, as APS grows and, you know, we have more people on a platform, security is going to be, a, it's going to be an issue. <laughs> yeah. There's different things you can do. Famously, Netflix had something they created called chaos monkey. So Netflix created a service that would just mm-hmm. crash servers arbitrarily because Netflix is a 24 seven service. When I've run certain businesses, we know we're mostly nine to five. Yeah, maybe someone's on at 2 a.m., but if we had to take down our system at 2 a.m., okay, who cares? You put up like, hey, come back tomorrow, no one cares. Netflix can't stop at 2 a.m. There's probably a lot of business happening at 2 a.m. So Netflix said, look, we just have to create such a robust system. We're going to actively just be messing with our system just a little bit. And you should be able to build systems that are self-healing, systems that can immediately respond. And if it can't, if it can't handle the small chaos that we throw in, then we know we're in trouble for big chaos later. So they took a a different approach. A lot of companies will do what's called tabletop exercises. Let's all sit around and practice. Those who are fans of Parks and Rec, there was an episode where they said, okay, we're going to pretend the town has some type of earthquake or flood and they've got everyone together and say, okay, 911, what do you do? And EMS, how are you going to respond? And let's practice. In fact, there was a grocery store. I think it was Hebe, a Texas grocery store, H-E-B. They ran some type of tabletop simulation in January of 2020 for a pandemic because they looked, they said, mm. hey, there's rumors of this pandemic. Let's just play this out. And so here's what's going to happen. They figured out things like, wait, if this one person's not around, right, we can't unlock the door. We can't contact the suppliers. Let's make sure we have redundancy because what if that person gets sick? And so they figured all this out and how we prepared for it. And they actually had a, this is going to sound terrible, a great pandemic, right? They were able to be very responsive. They met their customers' needs because they did that practice. And so I recommend 
it's not something you can do as a small business and maybe four or five people where you're, everything's really tight, but as your business grows, practice a few things. What happens if our website goes down? What happens if suddenly we lose our biggest client or something else happens? How do we respond? Because then it's like the fire alarm gets pulled and you say, I've done this before. I know to walk calmly and not panic. Yeah, and servers and server space and server quality and server security for any business is so, so important. You know, I'm going to pick on Amazon a little bit here or praise Amazon. Um, there's people who, like, know that AWS is a thing, but they don't realize that AWS controls, like, a third of the internet or something crazy, like, all they're hosting. That number could be way off. You can go fact check me. But, you know, that's where they make the bulk of their money. So, but you see, like, a company like Facebook or Netflix, I think Amazon hosts Netflix. I could be wrong there, too. But I think Facebook, I they do. Facebook has their own server environment. Yes. So, for startups or any business, because AWS is, is, it's a great web service. And I think IBM's another one. There is a few more out there, like Google and whatnot. But AWS is the big one. Now, do you advise certain types of companies to stick with AWS because they're reliable? Or would you be like, hey, as you grow, it might be smart to go towards your own server environment. What are the kind of challenges of going down that road? Do not get your own server environment. I have managed teams where we've had hundreds of people. We've had large numbers of servers, probably more than most of your audience will. I don't say that out of, out of ego or arrogance. I'm a, I'm a tech guy working at tech companies. This is what we do. There's a reason I use Amazon or Microsoft's version Azure, or Google's Google Cloud Compute. Mm -hmm. They do things that I just don't want to deal with. <laughs> the fact that a hard drive fails somewhere, I remember 20 some years ago, I'd have servers and if a hard drive failed, someone had to go out and replace the hard drive. And hopefully I had enough redundancy that the hard drive failed, it wouldn't take things down. I never worry about a hard drive failing. I'm sure they do right now. Right now on my servers, a hard drive is failing but I have no idea because Amazon has enough redundancy and Amazon has someone in that server room saying, oh, look, a failed hard drive, let me swap it out. And none of us know about it and none of us have to care about it. So absolutely use some type of cloud service, whether a big one, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, or one of the smaller ones like, um, was it DreamHost? Uh, there's, a, there's one with drops. So it's like an ocean, digital ocean, I think is a smaller one. Uh, I forget who the smaller ones are, but big ones, small ones. I couldn't tell you, you know, who's best for your needs, but right. use them. Don't reinvent the wheel. No, that's that's a very good point. I mean, but then again, you know, especially for like a media company, I'm going to use AWS example again because I'm kind of I'm trying to convince you to convince me not to go to our own server environment, um, where you know, we want to completely own everything we do. I mean, literally everything. We don't want to be at the whims of an AWS. And yeah, we use AWS right now to host our media for this. Like this podcast, this audio file is being hosted on an AWS server that's being built into our RSS feed. Obviously, because, you know, if say it, it took off, you know, and we got like this, this one podcast got a million, two million downloads. We couldn't afford to literally host the audio. Like that's just a big fat bill. Um, you know, when you own your own server environment or say like we say something that Amazon doesn't like, Amazon can just cut that cord like you saw with Rumble. I think it was Rumble. Like whatever that, that right-wing uh, platform was that was being hosted in AWS, they just cut the cord. So it's like, yeah, like we at APS want to do everything independent. Like we distribute our own feeds. We create our own content. Like we do everything that we own. We want, we want to own literally everything. And a server... It's just like, it's like you're, it's like literally a backbone. Yes, it's more work, but if your partner someone knows what they're doing, 
you know, that that's a big help. And it's just, but if you're not, yeah, I highly suggest AWS, at least, at least for the, at least when you're starting out, when you get too big, I think then's a good time to move over. Correct. Let me ask you, are you, are you planning to build your own microphones? Hmm. Are you one planning day. to write your own audio software? Yes, one day, yes, 100%. Audio, soft, audio software, definitely, yes. The, the reality is you have a certain competitive advantage. Your competitive advantage is not your microphone. No one's saying, ooh, I'm listening to this podcast because he has this amazing microphone no one else has, and that's why I listen to this podcast. Right. That's not your competitive advantage, right? So your competitive advantage is the great content you have, it's the fact that you can help people produce their own podcasts very quickly, efficiently, at low cost. That's your competitive advantage. The Microsoft doesn't, the microphone doesn't really change that. The studio that you might record from, you know, you might be recording from home, but if you rent a studio, a bad studio is going to ruin it, but a good studio isn't going to suddenly, you know, alter that, right? The best you can do is the studio is just as good as others. So every business you ask, what's your competitive advantage? What's the thing you do that's better or unique or different than your competitors? And for most companies out there, the servers that you have, whether they're at Amazon or your own system or at Microsoft, that's not your competitive advantage. So what you want to do, use one of these cloud services. As you get bigger, if you really get that big, first you can negotiate with them. If right. you're starting to be spending tens of thousands of dollars a month, hundreds of thousands a month, they'll negotiate prices. They're quite happy to do that. You can also leave at any time. They don't keep your data and say, we're cutting you off, but we keep all your data. It's yours. Right. So you, of course, would keep local backups. And you can say, you know what? We're going to switch and go to Google or Microsoft or build our own. But here's the thing that's really hard to do on your own. It used to be I had to figure out my server capacity okay, I think we need 10 servers. I'm going to order 10 servers. And they're going to take a couple of weeks to show up. I have to set them up. And if I think I'm going to need 20 servers, I have to figure out when I'm going to need that and I have to buy them. If I buy them too late, now I'm not serving the needs of my customers, right? I, I, my servers are too slow. If I buy them too early, I have a bunch of servers sitting around. I wasted money I don't need. With Amazon or any of these services, I can literally say, you know what? I need more capacity and literally three minutes later, I've doubled the number of servers I have. Yeah. Maybe I just need it for a certain day and I turn it back off. If I want to build a test environment, I can literally create the same test environment, but turn it on just for a few hours, test it, turn it off. If I need the same test environment and I'm doing my own system, I buy 20 servers for production, 20 more that sit there only for testing that I otherwise don't use. So there's a lot of overhead and effort that, you don't have to deal with when you go to the cloud. Yeah, Amazon definitely saves you a lot of headaches. Like I, I, got, a, I got a friend uh, who works with AWS specifically. Also, my cousin actually works with AWS specifically. And it's, it really is. It, it's, it's a phenomenal product. I couldn't praise AWS enough. So we could probably go on and on and on uh, about servers and tech. But there's some people going, okay, just move on already. <laughs> because <laughs> it, gets, it gets really nerdy and really geeky. So I want to talk more about startups and... Um, Working with startups, what exactly do you do with startups? You know, it says launching and developing new ventures at startups in Fortune 500s and in academia. So what exactly is it you do? Is it more on the tech side? Is it more of creative development? Like, elaborate. It's a lot of different things. So That's good. My core is I help to define what the products are. This is what we need to build. 
whether it's we need more buttons, we need more features, or, well, we're serving this market segment, but here's a way we can serve a different market segment. Here's how we can expand our product offering. I oversee the construction and support of that with all the engineers, the data science piece. So product engineering and data science, that's my core. I'm usually the de facto HR person because at these startups, we don't have an HR person. I'm doing all the hiring. So I create our hiring processes. I'm hiring up for my teams. And then usually just falls to me to do the things like culture building and the development of the company, like uh, individual professional development. That usually all falls on me as well. At some companies, I help with the financial modeling. I help with fundraising. I've done a lot of marketing, so I've helped with the marketing piece. Some companies, I'm the guy who flies out and says, we're going to open an office here. And so I'm running around looking for office space. Right. I'm involved with partnerships. I don't lead sales. That's the one area I try not to do. But very often for large software projects, they say, hey, this customer is interested in working with us, but there's a lot of integration. They have questions. So I have to go on the sales calls. And I spend a lot of time at conferences just speaking and promoting what we do. So it's a lot of different things all under the umbrella. That's fascinating. That's that's nice to be a jack of all trades. Um, any startups you've worked with you want to give a shout out to? Most of them people would not have heard of. So I'll just, uh, I won't waste people's time. With oh, that. that's why you, you shout them out, man. It's, okay. If you don't want to, that's fine too. You can you can look at my LinkedIn profile and, and see what I've done, but it's fine. Okay. All right. Um, MIT, what exactly is the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program? The UPOP. UPOP. That name doesn't carry a lot of meaning outside of MIT, and that's why we refer to it as the Career Success Accelerator. Mm. 20-some years ago, the companies we work with, I mean, the companies who recruit MIT students said, listen, your students, they're great. They're obviously very smart people, but there are skills we can't find. Leadership negotiations, communication, teamwork. These are the skills we want in people we hire, but we can't find it. Not just in your students, not just in college students, just anywhere. We can't find people with these skills and we really want them. And there's been similar research done at other universities. This is a universal problem. Schools don't teach these skills. We wanted to address this and created that program where we said we have to get this into our students' education. So I started the program, it's very hands-on and interactive. It's not just people like me lecturing at them, right. but we do role-playing activities to help develop those skills. Okay. Very nice. Yeah, MIT. I wish I could have got the MIT, but, you know, I liked Hofstra. Hofstra was fun. I like podcasting. Um, I have an ex-girlfriend and a cousin who are both Hofstra alums. All right. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to your cousin. Um, so, so many degrees. So I'm going to leave them off again. So you got a bachelor's of science in physics, which I had trouble passing in high school. Electrical engineering, which whew, screw that. Computer science. I like computers, but not so much science. As well as a master's in electrical engineering, it took a step up and computer science a step up, focusing on cryptography. Why so many degrees, man? That's a lot of degrees. That's a lot of things to hang on your wall. What made you want to go through all of that schooling? I like them all. I didn't want to limit myself to just one area. In fact, I think of myself as actually being lazy because I probably, if I had pushed myself, gotten a couple other degrees, but I just settled for that. And man, you're still young. You can go, you can go back. Now, how long did it take you to get all of them? You do them over, it's like, what, where'd you go to? Under, so a bachelor's of science was undergrad, obviously. That's what a bachelor's is. Yeah, so all, all of this at MIT, and so four years undergrad and two years for the master's. You did all this in six years? Yeah. Oh, good God. How, how'd you, okay, okay. How'd you have the discipline 
to do that uh, in your early 20s? Because I'm in my early 20s. I'm in my mid-20s now. I'm not, like, I'm disciplined at 26. I keep myself on a hard line, but man, I'm not disciplined to get like five degrees in six years. I couldn't, how, how, how? It was just, I'm interested in these subjects, so I want to take the classes. I want to learn. And as you take more classes, you get more degrees. So how is how has each helped you? The electrical engineering computer science gave me the right fundamentals for what I do now as a CTO. I have to understand how software works. And the cryptography in my graduate degree, that, of course, applied to my work in cryptography in right. cybersecurity in that area. Now, physics, on the one hand, I don't do a lot of physics problems per se, but really physics teaches you how to think about and analyze problems. And there's just no better education I had than my physics degree in terms of problem solving. So I'm really grateful. I don't really solve a lot of quantum mechanical equations these days, yeah. but the skills I use to do that help me every day. Physics, physics was hard. It was very hard in high school. It took my junior year, but it was so fascinating. It's like I have, I'm having trouble understanding exactly what's going on here, but I'm so fascinated. And I kid you not, my professor's name was Mr. Newton. You can't, <laughs> you can't make that up, and we all called him Fig. There was this, he was just like the jolliest, greatest teacher I could ever have had. So shout out to Mr. Fig. Um, but all those degrees, man, MIT, Massachusetts, Boston's the third most expensive city in the country. How much debt did that put you in? And I still pay. Is it all paid off by now? Did it all pay off? It's it's all paid off. I was very fortunate that my parents were helping me to do it. Mm. And then, of course, when you come out with a pure science degree, it's a it's a lucrative field. So you start earning pretty well even out of school, and that's just grown since there. Yeah, like I see. I mean, like I have a I have a bachelor's uh, in journalism. Um. Like technically, what I do now is journalism. I guess podcasting is a form of journalism, form of storytelling. But you know, I I work my job thinking I didn't really learn any of this in college. Like I love that I went to college. I do not regret going to college. But there's some things in this world that I truly believe you do not need to go to college for. Um, journalism's borderline for me, depending where you're going, what you learn. Um, but everything you went for, yeah, you need college for each and every single one of those things. Now, what's, what's your take on the college degree and the, the current state of the country being everyone needs to go to college? Yeah, absolutely not. I think we overemphasize college. Agreed. In too many cases. Now, I... That said, I'd like to see more people go to college, right? So that sounds conflicting. What do I mean by this? There are some things that you get in a college education, which honestly, it should be at the high school level, but we've watered that down so much. Mm -hmm. There mm. are basic skills we need. If you can't do math, if you don't understand concepts like compound interest, well, then how can you possibly be an informed voter? How can you understand, as we talk about economic policy and tax policy, is this going to pay off in the long run or is this adding to debt without the benefits? If you can't do that math, it's hard to be an active participant in our society. Yeah. Understanding history, understanding the patterns of history and what we're going through and what we can learn to not repeat mistakes. Those are things you get at the college level. I'd like to see more of that happen. But 
where I think we go wrong, we'd say to too many people, you need to go to college. This is how you get into middle class. This is how you stay there. And we get the, there's a classic, the philosophy degree where you wind up working at McDonald's because mm -hmm. who hires philosophy majors? We have creative writing. We see a lot of that. I and mean, it's a wonderful skill, just like philosophy, but there's just not a lot of demand for it. Or the other thing I see happening, people who got a four-year college degree, they went to a very expensive college, and then they wound up managing a local retail store. And having an English lit degree does not help you manage a local retail store. Instead, I would like to see more of what we refer to as vocational training, which we normally think of as, oh, that's carpentry or plumbing or air conditioning repair. But I'd like to see vocational degrees for running a retail store. We're gonna teach you a little human resources, a little marketing, a little bit of inventory management, a little bit of accounting. These are the practical skills to do that job. Forget the Shakespeare, forget the foreign language, let's just focus you on this. And I think that can be more cost-effective. Yeah. I'll note, by the way, you said computer science, most software engineers, I don't think you need to go to college if you wanna get a software engineering job. You can do so with vocational training. What we have today out there is usually garbage, but as those improve, you can skip college and learn to be a programmer and get a job. Like the, the best, the best teacher you can have is life experience. You know, luck, luckily my second job, a job I currently have outside of APS, you know, I do, I do live streaming. I do live streaming on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and sometimes LinkedIn. But you know, there was a learning curve. I never went into a professional broadcast studio to work in. Never, never learned that. Now they hired me, rolled the dice on me and trained me. Turns out I'm really good at it. It's really fun. But you know, I didn't go to college for that. But a college degree was a requirement for that. Now I'm sitting here at my job again, love it, it's a great job, saying, you know, they could have hired me out of high school, super cheap, and just trained me on how to use this stuff and work your way up the ladder. Now, everything you just said is very relevant in terms of problems with education and the schooling system, but I'm gonna turn that back on the businesses as well because you are requiring a job that for a bachelor's in whatever, this a bachelor's degree in whatever. So like I would advise businesses, like listen, don't make that a requirement. You know, if like APS, I'll, if you know how to edit video and I can pay you, you're hired. I don't care if you went to college. What kind of content can you make? You know, if you, if you can sell stuff, you can sell my products. I don't care if you went to college. How much money can you make? Now, if you're going to be a doctor, yeah, I need to see a degree in some studies. But like, turn that on the business because it's a problem with the businesses and the institutions as well where they're requiring people to go to college as much as the college is making people required to go them. Go there. It's, it's, this is economics 101, supply and demand. Yeah. When we had a hirer's market, they could be picky. They could say, you know, we have so many applicants. Let's just set that bar. You have to have a college degree, and that's just going to weed out. And it's not that people who don't have a degree can't do it. In some cases, you're more likely to find someone capable with the degree. But to your point, I agree. A lot of jobs, you don't actually need that college degree. Thankfully, with what we're going through now, where it's a labor-friendly market, right, where there's a lot Very. more demand for labor <laughs> than availability, I think we're going to see businesses are looking, how can we get more flexible and dropping that college degree requirement is going to be a lot more common going forward. Yeah. I mean, education, education's 
very, very important. Don't get me wrong. Like, if you want to go to college, go to college. Just, just please don't make it a dance major because that this you're wasting because a, a dance major costs a degree costs the exact same as a medical degree undergrad at least and that that in and of itself is an issue and there's a lot of it's a lot of colleges that you know I could have done my journalism program in two years a lot of people could have done their journalism program in two years but I had to do four because the school required prerequisite classes I had to take math I had to take you know, a, a lit class. I had to take a language class. Now, if you just took those out and I just went for my major, I could have college done in two years, save myself the debt and still have all the fun. Yeah, we'll see if we start to get to variable pricing for majors. I know that's been tried at a few schools. Then you get some interesting questions such as, well, we can charge more for the engineering classes because they can afford to take on more debt. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it, it's fine. They can go into debt, they'll pay it off, unlike, for example, someone who's a dance major. On the other hand, we in society definitely need more engineers. We don't necessarily need more dance majors. And by the way, I was a competitive ballroom dancer for years. I am a huge dance fan. I support the arts. Of course. But should we want to encourage people towards engineering and away from dance, well, then arguably we should do the opposite. We should make it cheaper to get the engineering degree and more expensive to get that dance degree. Ooh. So you could argue okay. either way. It's an universe card right there. I didn't see that one coming. Except to me, it makes sense. You know, if you're going to be a degree, it's going to pay off, you know, like a brain surgeon, something that's very hard to get. You know, if it's going to pay off, yeah, it should cost more. Like, you know, with dance, dance, well, let's, let's pick on dance a little bit more or music, right? Like, if you have a school with a very, very good dance program, you know, you go to college to make contacts and network to make connections because they're going to get you to jobs that pay well. You know, that's true. That's true. I've heard that from a lot of dance majors. I'm here to network really for four years. That's what the debt gets me. It's like, yes, yeah, you know what? That's a very fair point. But you have to be the best of the best. And, you know, it's the same thing with acting, same thing with film. You know, only the best of the best make it. A lot of people don't make it. And you're burying yourself in a hole. This is what I talk about a lot in chapter one of the career toolkit on the career planning chapter. We have to recognize that there's different types of careers that have different paths and different outcomes. Mm -hmm. So let's consider a few different ones. If you get a marketing degree and you have a career in marketing, so you start out, you're right out of school, you get a little bit of money. And as you advance, you make more money, you become more senior, you make more money. That's a pretty linear path. Now let's look at a doctor. If you're a doctor, you're going way into debt. You have college debt. Then you have medical school debt. Mm -hmm. As a resident, you're not making money. And so you've got residency. You mm -hmm. might then specialize. And so if, let's say you're a brain surgeon, you're going into significant debt. You're making no money until probably about age 35. Yeah, that's true. But then what happens at age 35? All of a sudden, you start out probably making about six, $700,000, and it goes up from there. So in that case, you have delayed compensation. And so there's very high compensation on the back end to make up for you've got very little on the front end. The other path would be dancers and actors, where you say you look at the payout distribution, and it's a power law. There's a handful of people who make a lot of money, right? Go to Hollywood, there's a handful of actors who are doing great, wonderful careers. And then you go down to a few people who are getting by and then a lot of people who get nowhere. And so if you go into one of those fields, you have to recognize there's a distribution of outcomes and the just raw probability says you're going to be on the tail end of that. 
unless you get lucky and or have talent. And so we have to recognize within our own career, what is the distribution we're looking at? What's that payout? And are we comfortable doing that? Mm. That's very well said. That's very well said. It really is a pick your path. But you know what, Mark? Uh, This is America, all right? This is the most innovative country in the world. It'll all work itself out as long as the governments get too much in the way. Or or as long as, you know, uh, the big institutions we have don't get too far in the way. Because people love to get in each other's way in this country. But it's America. It'll pull through. Innovation lives and breathes here. And like you said, with the workers' revolution that's happening in America right now, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Like all these strikes going around the country right now, it's a good thing. Workers have power again. And that gives me hope. Yeah, I'm also long-term bullish on America, our innovation, and the labor market, even if any given period we might have some volatility and setbacks. Oh, or inflation. You know, hopefully, you know, I don't want to get into inflation. I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about the economy. Uh, let's talk about some podcasting. So everything we have just talked over the past about 30 American minutes, podcasting never came up. So how... How did you get into podcasting? Even though you don't have one of your own, you've been a guest on 200 plus podcasts. So out of your magnificent career and all of your accomplishments, how did you get into podcasting? When you have a book out, the Mm -hmm. way to promote it, because no one goes on tours, no one goes say to city and let me do book signings. That's barely done normally. And certainly during a pandemic, that was not happening at all the way to promote a book is to go on podcasts. And my friend, Dory Clark, when I went to her for advice as I was writing the book, she said, you need to get yourself on lots of podcasts. I said, all right, that's the goal. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, and that's, that's a just, great, great piece of advice. Yeah, anyone who has a book or a record, if you're an artist or something new, you want to get the word out, podcasts are the best way to do it because you're hitting a targeted market with a relevant message. Mm -hmm. So what's been the biggest benefit of being a guest on multiple people's podcasts? You know, it can be financially for your book, but it could also be plenty of other reasons. Like what, what do you get out of being a podcast other than selling your book? Yeah, obviously selling the book gets out there and builds my name and brand. I have met some fantastic people. The people who do podcasts are usually the more interesting people. They have the podcast for a reason. Mm -hmm. They're interested in the topic. They're excited and engaged in that topic. And you get to meet these people. So whatever you do, whatever your field is, when you talk to podcasters in the field, you're going to meet some great people in your field. You're going to expand your network. You're going to create friendships. You're going to meet really interesting, fascinating people. So I got to ask you, man, why not start your own podcast? All right, great question. Let me, we're going to reverse it to start because there's always, when you say why not do something, you need a reason to do something in the affirmative. Okay. So now as someone who who gets people to get their podcast off the ground, please pitch me, right? Here's the, here's why you should do a podcast. And then I'll talk about why I don't think those reasons necessarily apply. Or I will say, sign me up and let's do a podcast. I mean, a a podcast is a voice for your brand or business. A podcast is a personal expression. Um, Like, so, okay, so let's start the question. What is a podcast? A podcast is a personally oriented discussion centered around select topics, right? That's Will Tarashek original. You can take it. Um, So the idea is what are, like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? It can talk about anything. 
And the big example I love to go to is Conrad Thompson. Now, if you don't know who Conrad Thompson is, he's a fat guy from Alabama who sells home mortgages. Why do I bring up Conrad Thompson? Because he is also one of the biggest wrestling podcasters in the world today. He's got five of them. And let me tell you how much money he's made selling mortgages on a wrestling podcast. A lot. And let me tell you, he also married Ric Flair's daughter. So he has even more on top of that. But he was doing fine before all of that. So, like, if you're doing a podcast on, like, what's, what's, what's something that interests you, just general? Me personally. Me personally. The topics of my book, professional development. Okay. So let's say, you know, do a solo show on this, whatever you would give away for free, that's a podcast. Like if I'm talking to someone who does sales, right? They're selling life insurance and they want to have a meeting with me. What would you tell that person for free? That's a podcast. Like a free consultation meeting for a business owner, that's a podcast. If you're doing realty, and you're selling houses, that's a podcast. You know, here is the neighborhood. Here's some stats in the neighborhood. Here's some crime rates in the neighborhood. Here's the school districts in the neighborhood. Here's how they rank compared to other neighborhoods. Here's the price of the house. You know, that's stuff you would give away for free. That's a podcast. You know, as soon as it's off, the house is off the market, you put a little note in the, end of the podcast, like a solo episode, this house is off the market, you know, check out my other stuff, right? So it's, it is a tool. A podcast is a tool to sell whatever it is you have to offer, or it's just a means to have fun. Like you, it, you're very easy to talk to. We can kind of delve off by no, you're going to bring it right back to where I need you to go. You can almost say exactly what I'm going to say before I say it. I've only known you for 45 minutes. So a podcast can bring great value to you because one, you have something to say, two, you're interesting, and three, you have something to sell. Why not have a podcast? And remind me, what do I have to sell? Well, you got your book and you also got, you know, you have this story of working with startups so you could even target startups. Like, hey, I'm a startup. You could invite me on your podcast and go, okay, you're a startup. Tell me about your business. What are you looking for? You know, and you can pitch some ideas like on the podcast and after the podcast to go, hey man, you know, check out my website. Here's what I have to offer. You know, fill this out and maybe you can work together. If great, if you can, great. If you don't, thanks for the content. It's been great talking to you, right? You know, you have plenty of things to offer people. So you hit the nail on the head and I think the advice is great for anyone out there listening saying, Hey, there's something I sell a product or a service. And I want to reach a large customer base by selling this podcast is something you should consider. The reason I don't is I don't have as much to sell as most people in my position do. So someone like me normally says, well, I have a book and then I'm going to consult. I'm going to be a consultant and offer this service. Now, the secret to publishing is that no one makes money on books. Hmm. When you do the math, like Stephen <laughs> King, J.K. Okay. Rowling, sure. But most of us, we're not making money from books. The yeah. way you make money when you have a book, particularly a business book like mine, is either you make money consulting based on the book or speaking. So I only have one thing to sell, the book. I do not actually consult on the topic in my book. It's not a lot of people, oh, I'll be an HR consultant. I'll help your company figure out. That's not what I do. In fact, I give away a lot of free content on my website, how your company can do it yourself. You don't need me. You don't need to hire me. Go do it yourself for right. free. So I don't have that to sell. What I basically do is either full-time as a CTO at a startup company, 
So there's usually one come other than right now, we're doing the fractional work because I've been promoting the book. I'm with one company full time. So I'm not selling my time or I do the speaking engagements. So now where the podcast would make sense if I said, Hey, hire me as a consultant and get to know me. Cause then if you want to hire me, if you want to pay me thousands of dollars as a consultant, you have to build up that trust. How do I know I can trust Mark convincing you to spend 20 some dollars on a book? Okay. That, that's not too hard. You listen to me for a bit and you say, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll invest $20. He seems like he knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. So for selling the book, going on other podcasts where I hit different audiences gets me that wide network. If I have my own, they say, okay, this Mark guy, he's interesting. Let me come back. Let me listen to him. Okay. He's interesting. I'll give him the 20 bucks for the book, but then there's nothing more for me to sell them because they're not hiring me as a CTO. Right. And the speaking, now I do get hired as a speaker. That's typically done by executives or HR or conference organizers, but that's a very tiny targeted community. Most people out there listening to podcasts are not in position to go spend five figures to hire someone like me to go speak at the event. So podcasting is probably not the most effective way to do that. So that's why I don't have a podcast. I think you're right that most people, when you have a service, so if you are a consultant, if you have a small business, that podcast is going to be a great way to build your brand, market your business. I recommend it. If you're mostly an employee, even an executive in my case, it may not be as appropriate for your business. You might do it because it's fun. Mm -hmm. You might do it for your personal brand. And you could argue, maybe if I'm a CTO, I should be doing a tech podcast and get known as this brilliant tech expert. So people always want to hire me as a CTO but I'm less excited to talk about that on a podcast. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you this then. Do you have an audience? A little bit. I just started producing content fairly recently. I started blogging just because I said, yeah, you know, I got to start putting out regular content. I have my social media posts. I'll post every time I do a podcast. I'll post now with the blog content I have. So I'll post about things going on. Yeah. But I started producing regular content as the, as a blog. And I do recognize I could just read my blog and that becomes a podcast episode. I tell people, I tell people all the time, literally anything can be a podcast because the P stands for personal. It's whatever you want it to be. But I ask you if you have an audience, because you know, if you already have an audience, then you know, people are going to listen to it. That attracts advertisers, right? That's, that's another thing. A podcast can be another source of income for yourself. However, if you answer the question very little, you know what, man, I think you're hundred percent right. You know, I, in terms of you as a person, as a brand, and as a uh, a professional, you don't see the ROI in it. And as someone who would love to work with you and would love to have you on APS, I don't see the ROI for you in it either. So I'm telling you honestly, I think you're making the right decision in not starting a podcast. However, if that audience starts to grow, keep it available. Because then if, if you have an audience, then it's not what are you selling. It's what can others sell them. Right. And I, I agree completely. If I build an audience and I have some way that I'm interested in monetizing mm -hmm. and we use this broadly, I don't mean to think of the audience and no podcasters like, Oh, look, there's little cash cows. Right. But I have an it's audience. A plus. What, it's a plus. what things of value can I provide to the audience and how can that create revenue for me to continue to do the podcast? Yeah. Then yes, it makes sense. And it might be true that in the future, as I build up my name, because well, granted, there are 
tens of thousands of people who knew who I am prior to the book, because I would speak at conferences, I've been teaching at universities, lots of people knew who I was, I wasn't adding them as followers, I wasn't getting people to you know, follow right. me around. Right. So now I'm for the first time as an author, building that audience, that direct audience says I am paying attention to what Mark's doing. And it is a double edged sword. Um, where, you know, a podcast is a great way to also build an audience. But man, you know what? That that's that's a very good answer. You you've probably answered that question a lot and you were prepared. And I tip my I tip my hat to you for why you don't have a podcast. So you also talk about the do's and don'ts of being a guest, which I think we're gonna have some different philosophies on, which is a lot of fun. But you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, the do's and don'ts of being a host. This was you threw another Uno reverse card in there. Not so much advice on how to be a good guest. So how did how did this come about? Where you know I gotta teach people how to be a proper guest. And by the way, I'm happy to throw in some tips as well of mistakes I have seen. My big pet peeves of podcast hosts. But to be a good guest, if you want to be a guest on someone else's podcast, and by the way, if you're going to be a podcast host, a great way to grow your audience is to go on other podcasts, right? You have each other on yeah. your shows, yeah. so you're going to be a guest as well. If you're going to be a guest, step one, remember your job is to make sure you're delivering value to the audience. It's not there to sell things, right? We briefly mentioned my book, but you haven't heard me say, buy the book, buy the book, buy the book. I am here to make this interesting and valuable to the audience. And if you want to buy my book, great. If you don't, that's okay. Yep. So yep. first focus on the audience and value. Pay attention to the audience. So many people, I hear this from lots of podcast hosts, they say, I just get spam from someone saying, you know, oh, I, I have a show for HR executives and someone wants to talk about knitting, right? That has no bearing. They're not paying attention. Who is the audience and what's the value to the audience? So when you reach out, know who the audience is, do your research. And then when you pitch, you say, this is who I am. Here's my credibility. Here is why I think this will be valuable to your audience and anything you can do to provide some proof. Now, you can also make things easier. I sent you a full media kit and interview kit. Yes, and I'm gonna, let, me, let me touch upon that for a second because media kits, that's a big one. That, that, that is a big one because whenever, whenever I, you know, put out, put out on a Facebook group like, hey, I'm looking for guests, the main thing I ask is just give me as much information on who you are and your podcast as possible. Like somebody has linked to your TikTok. You know, I might look at it, I might not. But you know, the more information you can provide, the better. You know, you sent me a link to an article you have featured, and you sent me to other podcasts you've been on, your website, and like your LinkedIn or whatever. Perfect. Because I can take like an hour, maybe a little more, depending on the person, going through that information, and I literally form the podcast in my head and write it down on a spreadsheet. That's how that's my process. So a media kit, so important. So important. Whenever you sell. So any salesman will tell you, you want to make the job as easy as possible for the customer to say yes. Questions they have, answer before they ask them. Concerns, address them before they're raised. You want to just open that path so all they can do is say yes. When you go on as a guest, I am selling myself to be on your show. Mm -hmm. Please put me on the show and here is why. So if I just say, look, I'm a really interesting guy, have me on your show, if that was my email, I have to say, all right, well, why is Mark interesting? Now I got to go Google him. Now I got to look up his profile. Now I have to see, does he sound competent when I have him on the show? Will he freeze up on camera? What are we going to talk about? And I'm asking you to do all the work. 
a good salesperson says, I'm going to make it as easy as possible. I'm going to do the work for you. And that's what the media kit does. It says, here's answers to all your questions, or at least as many as I can think of. And you can look at all of it, some of it, part of it, whatever is relevant to you to make your job easier. And so a good guest provides all these resources. And that can be background and links, images. I have zip files of images. When someone says, most people say, I just want a headshot. Here you go. And that's in the media kit. Mm -hmm. They said, you have more images. Here you go. Here's a full zip file. Take whatever you want. Right. I don't, and I can make you kind of go and ask for each one. I just make it as easy as possible for the buyer of the podcast host. Well, and it's, it's another thing that like that I do that we do it on our part of our process that we kind of force your hand a little bit. Like when you are a guest on this form, a guest on this podcast, the same link, hey, just fill out this form. It'll give me all the information I need. So it was all there, including a headshot. You know, for the ambiguous podcast solution, I asked for a, a podcast logo because I use that logo in our graphics package. You know, I put, your little, I put a little watermark of your logo in the bottom, bottom third. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm asking for things to help me help you as well. Um, and, you know, that's a great tool. That, uh, that form, the forms we do, so lifesaver. Because it's like, okay, you want to you make it easier for me. The same time as a podcast host, I have to make it easier for you. And I, so many podcasts have that. I know I've got my copy paste answers because the questions are 90% the same from one podcast to next. It's basic information. So I've got, so I can just copy paste. I might do a little editing for this particular show versus the other. I might change my bio or I might say, here's the key angles to hit. Yep. But yeah, you can prepare and just make life easier for yourself, for the podcaster, for the guest. It's a processes make life easier. Uh, you also say finding the appropriate podcasts, <laughs> to which I go, every podcast is an appropriate podcast. Like, you know, I mentioned knitting earlier. You know, I don't know anything about knitting. Not not a thing. But if someone invited me on their knitting podcast, I'd probably ask them questions about knitting. So you say, don't just spray a message to anyone who will listen. Putting out careless messages by the dozens, a uh, dozen trying to land a spot will only damage your professional profile, not help it. So... When you say careless messages by the dozens, do you mean your pitch to podcasters or you being a guest on the podcast? As a guest, I look at, now I go on a lot of broad podcasts. I go on podcasts for entrepreneurs, for workers, for HR, for exec. I go on leadership podcasts. I've been education podcasts. I've been on podcasts about podcasting. I've been on book podcasts. But even then, when I go on book podcasts, I'm very careful. I don't just say, hey, I have my book. And for some, they'll just say, oh, we like authors. Great. I'm an author. Here's my book. Mm-hmm. I've gone on library podcasts. Now, if I just said, I'm an author, put me on. They say, we don't do that. This is a podcast by librarians for librarians. And we'd be spammed with authors if you just want to talk about your book. I said, okay, for what you do, I have something of interest. I have an app that goes with my book. There's a free app said, let's talk about why I built that app, why I think more books will need an app, and what this means for the future of media. That's relevant to librarians. But if you just say, well, I have, I want to talk about my book, and I'll talk about it to anyone. I'll go on a knitting podcast and talk about my book. Well, the people listening to that knitting podcast want to talk about knitting. They don't want to talk about career skills. That's not why they tune in. And I'm wasting the time of the host by just spamming them, hoping to get on. Well, okay, with, with the approach, the, the initial email, it's really funny because we actually do have a knitting podcast on APS, Darn, the, the Darn It podcast. It's hilarious. Shout out to Lily from the Darn It podcast. So I love that you mentioned knitting. Um, but like in terms of, you know, cold calling, reaching out to someone, yeah, 
Don't just spray it out because I think it does it does damage your profile. No one likes being DM their your pitch. No one likes reading a pitch in a DM, myself included. I hate giving them more than I hate receiving them. Because if I receive them, it's like yeah, I can just ignore it. But giving it, it's just like it. I know it's not going to work because I just I'm not good at it. Some people are really great at it. I but I just I hate it as a process. But very simply, my uh, philosophy when it comes to podcasting is that everything needs to be everywhere always, which pretty much boils down to you need to be in as many places as possible as often as possible. So like I would, if someone was like, Hey, come on my podcast, unless I'm physically too busy, I'm on that podcast because I need to be everywhere, especially as a founder of a company. Like I'll go on that knitting podcast and like say how my, talk about how my grandmother knits and how she made me a bunch of blankets growing up. I stood up to this day, you know, she stood up my, my brother's baby blanket that she knitted herself. He still has in his apartment with his fiance. You know, like I'll find an angle. That's my responsibility. I'll find an angle. There's a subtle difference. If the, if darn it wants to bring me on and say, please come talk to us. Say, you know, if you think I will add value, I agree with you. Go, go wherever you can and spread the value. But I would not be so arrogant to say, let me let me shove my message onto your audience, which at first pass probably isn't a fit. If you see it and want to reach out to me, give me a call. But I'm not going to just spam every podcast I can find to shove my message down it. Because to your point, podcasters, especially as you become more successful, you get spam every day. Yeah. I get plenty of spam as an executive. We all hate it. So do a little bit of research. Say, here's why it's relevant. And if you can't come up with a reason why it's relevant, don't reach out to that person. It's okay if it's a stretch, right? Yeah. If you're a dancer and say, hey, let's talk about knitting and dance outfits. Like, all right, a little bit of a stretch, but pitch it. Maybe it works, maybe not. Yeah. But don't just don't just shove your message anywhere you can find it. I would definitely say find an angle. Find yes. find an angle. That's very helpful because, you know, for this, for this podcast example, you know, talking with Tara Shuck, I keep it broad. I keep it vague on purpose. You know, like your email, I went and go, ooh, you know, I saw two hundred. I was a guest on two hundred podcasts. I immediately go ooh. When I go ooh, you're coming on the podcast. You know, if so, someone reaches out to me, I kind of go eh. You know, I'll just I'll I'll leave it be because I'm not I'm not invested. But like I I, I I keep it broad on purpose because yeah, this this talk with Tarashek podcast. Hopefully, as I grow, I can talk to like you know scientists, world like leaders want to be politicians, current politicians, you know, comedians, actors, dancers, knitters, teachers, you know, waste management people. Keep it as in many different places as possible as long as I find them interesting because now someone's going to go, well, you know, that's a lot for one audience to handle. It's like, well, yes, but there's another philosophy I have, which is called recycle your content. So if I do 40 podcasts over the next year or so with life coaches. I can take those life coaches and I can go talk in life with Tarashuk, talk in business with Tarashuk, talk in baseball with Tarashuk. And I can release those specific episodes on a completely new RSS feed and it becomes a playlist that I can then distribute out to all those different people, all those different platforms. So someone just goes, you know what, Will? I love when you talk to comedians, but you know, there's too many UFC fighters in here, man. Too much UFC. I need more baseball. Guess what, Greg? They're all right here. There's some fantasy baseball. There's some players. There's some managers. There's some scouts. There's some writers. It's all there for you. All the baseball your little heart can handle. But it starts at the top. We're talking with Tarashuk. They can find it all in one place. And it's, it's, it's broad. 
It's there. It's it's all right there. Like that's just that's just. So he's like, no, spray a message everywhere because you never know where it's going to be used elsewhere. Yes, I I do agree. Anyone with content, try to get wide as long as you're respecting the keeper of the audience you're reaching out to. Definitely. All right, networking. Network is a big one. So how important of a networking tool is podcasting? Podcasting, I think, can be great for networking because, again, you're going to meet someone interesting. The, the people who screw up networking, I always talk about this in my networking talks. It's the people you go to some conference, walk up, hi, my name is Mark, what's your name? Okay, give me your card, here's my card, exchange cards, great, done. Okay, it's like this drive-by networking. Yeah. Okay, we exchange cards, I know nothing about you. But here, you and I, we've got an hour-long conversation. The time we spent before, we'll probably spend some time after. That's already a great start. That's more than I talk to some people at conferences. Yeah. And then we might even follow up. Sometimes we've got another conversation later, like let's just catch up or, hey, just want to resync. Here's how the show is doing. I will always, now here's something I do at the end of every podcast, and we're going to do at the end of this one. There's two questions I ask. So after we go off the air, what I would be asking is, you know, thanks, I had a good time. We'll, we'll wrap up the show. We'll talk about how it went. And I always ask, first, are there any other guests who you might be looking for? Because I know a lot of fascinating people. Mm-hmm. I know other authors, professors, entrepreneurs, lots of podcasters. I know all sorts of people with content. Now, you're a pretty broad uh, content platform. Others might say, oh, we're just about HR people or we're just about right. leadership development. Okay, well, I know a few people who specialize in that area. And what I've done, because they still get pitches every day, but if they think, you know, Mark, he was a pretty good guest. So if he's recommending this person, this person's at least worth talking to, right? She's probably going to be pretty competent as well. And so I help people I know get on podcasts. I help podcasters I know get good guests. And so I'm just helping lots of people out. Then the second question, I take it and flip it. Say, by the way, do you know any other podcast for whom I might be a good guest? Because podcasters know other podcasters, Mm -hmm. right? It's a community, get to know the other people. And as you know, finding good guests, finding guests can be easy. Finding good guests, not so much. So if they like me on the podcast, they're happy to refer me to someone else. And so it's very easy. If you have your own podcast, ask these two questions at the end to every guest. If you're a guest, ask another podcaster. And it's a great way to expand your network and meet more people. And we all help each other. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I'll, I'll have answers for both of those questions. So don't you worry. Um, what, what's, what's the wrong way to network on a podcast? Because sometimes it's still, a, it's still a filling out process for me sometimes. You know, I'm still kind of figuring out the right way and the wrong way to do things. It's a guess and check game, especially being a young startup. Um, but what, what are some of the wrong ways to network on a podcast? Well, the wrong ways to network in general would be like the example I gave earlier where someone says, oh, we met for five minutes, we exchanged cards. Great, we're networked. I always say, the people say, oh, look, I, I add this person on LinkedIn. I have all these people I'm connected to on LinkedIn. Just because you connected to someone on LinkedIn yeah. doesn't mean you're networked. It's like saying, look, I swipe right on Tinder. She swiped right too. We're engaged. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> right, that's it. We both swipe right, done. Right. right. No one, no one would say, well, we swipe right, therefore we're in a relationship. But we do that on LinkedIn. Or we do it with, I exchange cards, I've networked. Now, we know on Tinder, when you both swipe right, okay, that's the start of it. 
that's where you say, okay, we've expressed some interest, but now we actually have to build the relationship, which we call dating. Professionally, the fact that we connected on LinkedIn or we exchanged cards or we had an initial conversation, that's the start of it. The relationship has to be built over time. And so even with podcasting, there are podcasters, okay, we had a good show, and then I'll keep in touch with them. We might email each other you know, every few months, how are you doing, what's going on? I've got a call actually later this week with a podcaster who I, I met over the summer. We're just catching up and seeing how we're doing. And so it's building that relationship. Relationships take time. So recognize for any relationship, whether it comes from a podcast or anything else, it involves a commitment of time to build the relationship. Definitely. No, 100%. And, you know, there's going to be certain people, like, next year, after, like, some time pass, I'm going to be jumping, like, hey, do you want to come back? Do you want to be on again? You know, and it'll be, it'll be uh, Mark Hirschberg 2 will be the title, right? And, you know, eventually, you know, like, you know, 10 years from now, it'll be, like, Mark Hirschberg 14 or whatever. You know, like, I'll keep a tally of guests I have coming back. Because that's another thing with podcasts. You know, like, Rogan's podcast, I look forward to when he brings back Joey Diaz on. I look forward when he brings on Jocko Willick. Or he, I look forward to when he brings back on, you know, X, Y, or Z. Because I know they're going to be great shows. Because I've, you know, I found them. And then I, I now know this person because of that podcast. So me personally, like, oh, Mark's coming back on? Hell yeah, I'm there day one. Right? Like, that's, that's, that's part of a podcast. Um, so and you also... Way, something, something you can do as a podcaster. So this is a great thing for any podcasters listening to this. When you have a podcast, let's say on knitting... Most of your guests have something to do with knitting. Right. They all have some interest in knitting. Well, they'd probably be really interested in meeting each other, meeting other knitters. I know a few podcasters who have a quarterly event. And you just say, we're going to do a Zoom call, and we're going to get on either everyone we have this quarter or just anyone who's ever been on. We have this open call. And it's not everyone. It's a handful of people get on. But everyone on that call has a common interest. and get to meet other people with that interest. So if you're a podcaster, you can introduce your guests to each other and they love it and they will love you for doing that. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. Definitely. I mean, networking, like I said, broadcasting is a networking tool and it's just like, it can go far beyond just the hour, 45 minute conversation or whatever you have on that day. But you also talk about, you know, clear talking points. Um, yes. Now I got to ask for clarification. By talking points, do you mean like know what you're going to say? Because I, I hear talking points. I think traditional TV, radio, like, you know, go for the soundbite. And like you, you say focus on soundbites. And to me, I'm just like, don't focus on soundbites. Focus on soundbites after. Go back to it after and find the soundbites. When you're talking, focus on the conversation. Um, you say also say pay, pay for media training. Is there a difference in training for podcasts rather than traditional media like TV or radio, in your opinion? So let, let's look at both of those points, which are related. So the first, I agree, don't worry about sound bites. And what's great about a podcast, it's okay if you get into a 90-second, a two-minute answer, two and a half minutes, if it's a really interesting point, as opposed to TV where even 30 seconds is a little long for TV now. You have to, yeah. I have to answer that in 15 seconds. And for something complex, I can't do it in 15 seconds. I don't want you to do it in 15 seconds. I want you to explain cybersecurity to me. That's why I asked it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't go for sound bites. I'll find the sound bites afterwards. Don't you worry. I got a lot here. The, the talking points is more 
for, for shows like this one, this is just an open conversation, free flowing in topics, but there's a lot of them who say, we're an executive leadership con uh, podcast and we want everyone to walk away with three takeaways. So what are your three takeaways? I've seen a lot of shows where they ask the guest, what are your key points? And if you don't have it, I'm not saying that's your soundbite, but the key point might be learn leadership from day one, encourage others to lead, and leading is an interactive experience. Maybe those are your three points. So, okay, that's, that's the theme of the show. That's where they're going. Because some people like it very structured. This show, you know, we're just, we're free-flowing, right? We didn't know what we were going to talk about, and we're talking about this and that, and that's fine too, but there are different styles. If you have talking points and you have training and you're okay, yeah, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk more about knitting? No problem. Dance, I'm good with that. Right. AWS and cloud, hey, whatever. For others, they need to know where you're going and you need to know where they're going. So be prepared for it, but don't stick to it. Mm. To your second point, media training, that is just for people who are inexperienced the people who um, they uh, you know really um, don't know uh, how to how to um, how to how to how to speak, and it's uh, oh god, it's it's um, it's painful to just listen to them. So if you're not used to speaking, if you get nervous, this is a conversation. This isn't necessarily public speaking, but yeah. some people feel, oh, I'm I'm on stage. If you're not comfortable with that, getting some of that training, whether it's to eliminate things like ums or whether it's just to have those clear, coherent points and not to ramble, because some people need help with that. Some people do need it, yeah. There's some people where I'd say, okay, you know, cut the answer short. And as a host, I try to find my way in and kind of sneak myself back in there. But some people, man, I just wind them up and let them go. It, like, it, all, de it all depends. And I don't know until we hit record which, which way it's gonna turn most of the time. Um, that's very good. That's a very good point. When it comes to the ums and uhs, you know, I'll get this where it's just like, you know, can you cut out the ums and uhs, like all of them? And I go, no, <laughs> because people speak very naturally with ums and uhs. It's a very natural way to speak. However, to your point, if it's overkill, yeah, it's very hard to listen to. But, you know, some people also are not made for speaking on a podcast. Some people just naturally are not good at it i am lucky why i naturally just have this energy that just just explodes very very heavy some people love it most people love it some people probably find it's really annoying i don't care i can't control it but not everyone's like me some people are very mellow like alex friedman where he's hard to listen to because he's boring right <laughs> but some people love that style because it's very informative so i you know it's really it's a fine style paying for me to training is interesting because it can definitely help but i'd say be careful because what are you going for are you going for like to be on don lemon or are you going for to be on a tim ferris or are you going for to be on a talking with tara shock because they're very 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 different that's an excellent point know your goal because the type of training there's the basic training eliminate too many ums and uhs learn how to enunciate learn how to relax when you're on camera that's the basic level that would apply to all. But then to your point, speaking on Don Lemon versus you versus Tim Ferriss, different style and recognizing you need those 10 second answers versus the conversation, but still have a clear selling point if you're on Tim Ferriss right. versus we're just gonna have a conversation 
let's just go with it. Yeah. It's like, it's just, people, it's like, well, how do we do that? It's like, what, what do you mean? Have you, have you, have, have you not talked to someone before? Like, it's this, you just talk, you just talk. And it's, this is good practice to talk. Like this, this, I call podcasting the purest form of communication. Um, if you try and get a point across. Because I do. It's just, it's just, it's very easy for me to just talk. And sometimes, like, I find myself asking more questions to people in real life now. And sometimes I kind of, kind of snap out, like, "Well, you're at, you're at a football game, like at your friend's house. Don't treat it like a podcast, you know. Just be, be normal." But you know, I, I, I find myself asking people more questions. I find myself being more curious, which is fantastic. And all that all comes from, I guess, clear talking points. Well, to your point. I have found more and more podcasts are taking the conversational style as opposed to, okay, we're going to go through eight questions. Here are the eight questions. Yeah. I do get a few of those on some of the very formal business ones I go to, but even a lot of business ones I'm on, they say, yeah, this is just going to be a conversation and we're going to talk about this and we've gone way off path for what we set. We might not get into dancing and other things. We're still talking about leadership or HR or whatever we happen to be talking about on the show, but not in the direction we expected. But it's a free flowing conversation. It gets really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I have I have a page and half of like bullet points here for questions in case I get off the rails and want to get back to it. But that's it. That's really all I do. When I eventually do these in person, that's going to be interesting. Like, do I have these printed out and have them on a table? That's something I'm still trying to figure out because you know I have three things open. I got an audition open. I got you know, the, the document open and I have the Zoom call open so I can actually see you all on one screen on my TV right there, which is reflected in my glasses, which really pisses me off. I got to, it drives me crazy, the reflection of my glasses. You need to get the anti-glare screens. I think that might cut it down. Uh, maybe, maybe. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I try to have as much lighting in here as possible too, but you know, like I'm looking at it and what can I do? You know, get over it. I'm talking to myself right there. But one of your last points is buy a decent mic. And the key word there is decent because I love that you said decent because I love this microphone. It's my baby, but it took me five years. So I was ready to buy it. Not because I couldn't afford it because you know, this is a commitment. This mixer I'm using the Rodecaster pro is a commitment, you know, buy a decent mic. If it's just going to be you USB mics, fine. I recommend blue Yeti go to our shop. And you can buy one. We get, we get help for that. You know, reach out to me. I can help you which mic you want to buy. Exactly. See blue Yeti magnificent, even though it's red. So decent mic, is phenomenal advice. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I talk to lots of podcasters, and there are some who are audiophiles. They talk about these $300, $500 mics, which I'm sure are fantastic. And maybe if you're a podcaster, it's worth doing that because you're doing who knows how many podcasts. Right. If you are going to be a guest, and you might be going on a dozen podcasts, to your point, a USB mic, First, you, you need an external mic. You can't use your laptop mic. Right. But getting that external mic, I'm not singing. I'm not doing something where you have to get the crispness of each and every thing I'm doing. You can hear the words. Even if I kind of mumble a little, I mean, I'm still coming across, and the mic's good enough for picking that up. And so you just need a decent enough mic that they can pick up the words, they can pick up your tone. So invest in a decent mic. Do not ever use your laptop mic you can get the blue Yetis are probably like a hundred some dollars. Even if you bought like a $50 mic, it is still far better than your laptop mic. So as a guest, buy a decent one. If you're host, okay, then you might want to buy a good one because you're going to be doing a lot of these. Right. Yeah. Sometimes like, I have, if I'm in a work meeting where I know I'm just like, okay, someone big's going to be here. I'll whip out this setup. 
just just to, just to show off, <laughs> just because I can, you know, just just for no reason other than yeah, this is what I got. Because otherwise, uh, I can't find it. It's over there somewhere. I just have like a regular gaming headset just for work. Because you know, I don't need all this. It's just this is just fun. All right. Um, I think that's that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, so. How does this podcast compare with the other 200 you've been on? I, I was going to ask that after the fact. You know what? Screw it. I'll do it on there. You can be as brutally honest. Like, where? don't don't rank me, but um, how does Talking with Tara Shark, are there other podcasts? That's also what I'm curious in. Are there other podcasts like mine out there? This is probably one of the most open podcasts. The closest I've done to this, there was a little bit of everything and I'm blanking on the name of the host, where she just says, yeah, we're going to talk about a different topic each week. Here's our guest, and here's what we're talking about. When I was on the 500 section lounge, they're very, let's just talk about stuff. We wound up talking about the MIT pirate certificate. We talked (laughs) about my background. We talked about the book. We talked about ballroom dance. We talked about all these different areas in a very open one to the next. So this was similar to that in that, we hit a whole bunch of different topics that might not even be that related. So I'd say it's closest to that, but this is probably really the biggest, widest range of topics we've covered in a very broad sense. Good. I like being unique. Um, what kind of like, what kind of like when you're a guest, what kind of podcast do you prefer to be on? Do you like the, the flea flowing conversation like we've just had, or do you like kind of the more structured Q and a format? Closer to free-flowing. I don't like the ones, one of the first podcasts I did, they said, give me eight questions. And I gave them some questions. And then she just read off. First question, I answered it. Then she went to the second question and answered it. And that just felt so static. Yeah. I don't mind where they say, hey, I've got some questions. I think we're going this direction. But then it just organically evolves. So it is sometimes nice to have, I know where we're trying to go. Because I can also, to your point earlier, I can help guide us back there. Oh, I know if you want to make sure to get to this later, as I give this answer, I'm going to give us that thread to lead us to where you want to go. Right. Uh, it's hard to do when it's just, we're just going to talk and see where it goes. All right. I like it. Yeah, because it, it drives me crazy. It's the, the Q&A, I ask question, you answer, I ask another question. I take pride in my follow-ups. <laughs> I do, secretly. It's something, something I think I'm really good at. It's like, oh, because a lot of the questions I ask on this podcast, I think of while you're answering. Like, yes, yeah, so I'm looking at my notes saying, okay, where can I go next? But it's like, okay, let me sneak this in here. Um, so that's just, you know, and that's when it takes practice. But the better, the better hosts do that. They are paying attention. They say, this was interesting. I didn't expect it, but I think there's value and let, they can recognize the value and they can shift to get it. Yeah, like when I when I wrote down um, tracking criminals in the dark web, dot, 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 explain, I didn't know we were going to into Facebook. I didn't really think of it. Into, it just popped in my brain at that moment. You know, I, I, I didn't ask specific questions in the dock so I could leave it open-ended for myself. But okay, last question. What's next for you? For me, I'm continuing to go on podcasts and promote the book. I'm doing a lot more speaking now that we're getting towards the tail end of the COVID pandemic. COVID's not going away. It will still be here for years to come, but we're getting back to like (laughs) a new normal state. So there's a lot more in-person events. So I'm doing a lot more speaking at companies, at conferences, at universities. So that's been great. I'm focused a lot on that this quarter. 
And then probably I mentioned I'm a fractional CTO, but I'll probably get back into something full-time because I usually prefer being with a single full-time company. Well, if I could afford it, I'd definitely think about it, but I definitely cannot. So uh, last, actually, I always give the floor to the guest. Do you, any questions you have for me, the last question should always go to the guest. Um, or you can plead the fifth. It's up to you. Questions for you. All right, let, let's do, because you opened the kimono on recording. How was I as a guest? Man, you were a lot of fun. You were a lot of fun. I mean, like, yeah, I go through your website, and again, I go, ooh. Like, I see, oh, you, you develop new ventures at startups and Fortune 500s. Ooh. You have all these degrees. Ooh. You're, you're tracking criminals. Ooh. It's like, okay, I have something to work with here. And um, for me, I, I probably should listen to you on, or you as, you know, the metaphorical you, if there are on other podcasts more to see how, what you're like. But, you know, I went in no expectations. I had to go in and just, you know, feel you out from this from the jump. And as soon as you got on, you know, we started talking. I was like, okay, this is going to be a good one. So, and that comes with time. I've probably interviewed close to 50 different people now. I've discussed with 50 different people now so I can get a good feel for it. But yeah, man, this this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this one. I took a lot away personally. Um, it's great. And I, I know we're going to keep in touch one way or the other. Well, thank you. And I'll, I'll share something for potential guests who are listening out there. I actually vary how I sound from one podcast to another. I will try to match the host's tone, mm. not just a literal tone of voice. But here, you know, this is a pretty relaxed podcast. I've got relaxed body position, and we're just chatting, and I'm treating it as you're treating it, like we're just hanging out, having coffee, chatting. If you hear me on certain other podcasts, some are like this, others, a lot of the more formal business ones, you're going to hear me with a much more professorial tone where I sound just a little more on stage, a little more focused in how I speak, in my diction, because I'm going to match that style for that particular podcast. So I'll adjust slightly. I'm still me, but do I do like the super high energy and, you know, we're, we're just shouting out, are we having the casual conversation or am I more professorial? And I will adjust to match the style of that particular podcast. That's very important. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take that and put it in my back pocket because I'm gonna remember that one. Because I think Please. I think I'm the same on all podcasts, no matter what. Um, but you know what? Uh, they can you can catch me on all my other podcasts. I'll do all my plugs. But first, Mark, uh, this is the part of the show where you do all your plugs, where they can find you, your socials, um, your book, anything you want to plug, my friend. The floor is yours. Thank you. If you want to learn more about me and the book and the stuff I do, you can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. You can see what the book is about. You can go to the contact page and reach out to me or follow me on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I post them all. You can follow the blog if you want to get more content. You can look at some of those 200 plus other shows to hear what I sound like on those. You can also download the free app that has a lot of the great tips from the book in the Android and iPhone stores, and that's linked from the website. And then there's a whole resources page where I link to a bunch of other great books that I found useful in my career, some I reference in my book. It also references a bunch of other free online resources on the web that you can use for yourself, for your business. There's some download guides that can help you develop these skills at your organization for yourself or for others. So all of this is on my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. All right, now it's my turn. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been Mark Hirschberg 
author of the career, the career toolkit, essential skills for success that no one taught you. If you want to find all of my stuff, all of all of my other interviews on the Talking with Tarashuk podcast, head over to ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Click that podcast tab and look for my face. It's a vector image. It's me as an animation with my gray streak. It's there. I promise you. It's gorgeous. Shout out to my girlfriend for making that logo for me. All my other guests can be found there. If you want to catch me on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, same website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, where I speak to all people I find interesting. The one caveat is they have to have a podcast. This is Talking with Tarashuk, where I speak to everyone I find interesting. One caveat, they cannot have a podcast. And if you think you're interesting and want to reach out to me, you can find me at will at APSpodcast.com. That's will at APSpodcast.com. Send me your media kit. And if I go, ooh, you will be a guest on either podcast. It's easy peasy. It's super fun. We'll talk for about an hour just like this. So if you had fun listening to this, I'll have fun talking to you. Again, that's will at APSpodcast.com. Dot com. All of our partners, our podcast partners, our great podcast partners can be found at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. If you're interested in working with us, please shoot me an email. Let us know. It'll be great to talk to you. I'll be back next time with a brand new guest talking about, I don't know. We'll see. I'll figure out when I get there. Until then, y'all take care.